World Cup, World Cup, every four years it's the World Cup, World Cup. If you dump a cup of ground straight in the build-up, build then we'll love it when you score a goal. Ooh, did you see that? World Cup, World Cup, it might all end in tears or a head but You can follow all the blogging on your laptop. laptop. From Slovenia to Slovakia, from Nigeria to the Cote d'Ivoire. Ah, Cote d'Ivoire. The Guardian and Observer, packed with World Cup coverage every day. The Guardian. Hello, this is Politics Weekly. I'm Tom Clark. And I'm Allegra Stratton. At the end of a week in which the coalition faced its first major crisis. David Laws, the man charged with taking an axe to the public's expenses, was felled by some of his own. We're going to look at the damage that it's done to the government. We will also look back at the first in the new season of Prime Minister's Questions with the help of the new Tory Justice Secretary, Ken Clark. And we'll gaze at the potential resurrection of another Ken. Livingston for mayor, we presume, or not, as the case may be. Joining us to do all this, we have columnist and Politics Weekly stalwart Julian Glover from his country seat in Derbyshire. And here in the studio, the newer faces of Libby Brooks from our comment desk and Tom Happold, Multimedia Supremo. Hello to you all. Hello. 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 (laughs) Now first to PMQs. Can I turn to another area where I believe the government should reconsider, and that's the married man's tax allowance. It would only go to one in three married couples. It would cost half a billion pounds a year. Can you tell the House how that would contribute to cutting the deficit? Well, I'm an unashamed supporter of families and supporters of marriage. And I simply don't understand why so many other European countries, and I often remember being lectured from the other side of the house about how we should follow European examples, so many other European countries recognise marriage in the tax system, and yet we don't. So this is an issue I believe we should bring forward, uh, proposals to recognise marriage in the tax system. It's proposals that in our our happy coalition they will have um, the right to abstain on, I'm happy to say. But I support marriage, and I say we support so many other things in the tax system, including Christmas parties and parking your bicycle at work, why don't we recognise marriage? It was a very different, more subdued atmosphere in the chamber from the jousting formerly of the Cameron and Brown era, a point that Ken Clark was keen to make when interviewed by our man, Michael White. I sat through it, I got there early, uh, it was packed, well behaved, quite extraordinary. On I both it was sides? Very impressive. On both sides, yes. I, I, I mean, it was, there was some cheery, one almost hoped it wouldn't be conducted in total silence, uh, but I think the public would appreciate the altogether better behaviour of everybody. Now, whether it would last, uh, whether this was just new members overawed by these extraordinary surroundings, I don't know. I, uh, I hope it doesn't become a totally dull occasion, but I thought that was uh, a, a good start because it was getting in the last parliament, a bit like a zoo in there, and it detracts people's attention from serious political exchanges. Well, we David, had a few of those this David, afternoon. You did, but David Cameron was quite good at the zoo stuff, and like many politicians, he deplored it while doing it rather well when he was leader of the opposition. Well, it, it, up to a point, that's fine, because what really the leader of the opposition and the prime minister are trying to show is they're still alert, they've got full of vigour, they're aggressive, they can uh, think on their feet and all the rest of it, and it's a kind of weekly way of touching base with whether they're on top of their job and their animal spirits are still there but that has in recent years been taken to absurdity and uh, given it's televised the public sometimes look at the exchanges of Prime Minister's question time with total dismay uh, I must admit being a, an old hand who'd seen things get Collected more noisier, in 1970 for those absolutely, who don't know it's got noisier over the years I was positively surprised by the restraint in a packed chamber 
Gillian, do you reckon it's the oddity of the coalition or do you think it's all those well-behaved new boys and girls or do you think it was the dreadful shootings that kind of hang over proceedings yesterday that meant we got this slightly more measured tone? It was a bit of all of those things. There's lots of MPs who haven't done their maiden speeches. They don't quite know whether they can make noises in the chamber, what they're supposed to do. So they were they were watching. And I think there's also the fact that the opposition doesn't really exist. Labour put up Harriet Harman, who didn't do a bad job, but she isn't the authentic leader of the opposition. She can't charge in there for her party with a view to the long term. The Lib Dems, who would be part of the yelling crowd, are now sitting rather suddenly looking a bit bewildered. And so there, there isn't the two-side battle that we have before. There might be once we get a new Labour leader. I, I don't think this silence will last. Libby, does it have to be? Does it have to be raucous? Well, you see, everybody is saying that it was incredibly subdued yesterday. And, and obviously, you know, it wasn't as angry and shouty as, as it sometimes gets. But to be honest, I just thought it was because the Lib Dems were trying really hard not to show that they're still absolutely beside themselves <laughs> about being on the government benches. Um, and... You know, I mean, fair enough, Harriet can't really sort of engage in, in the big stuff, but I thought it was really nice, actually, that she brought up the um, changes to rape defendants' anonymity very early on and sort of seemingly got Cameron to backtrack, actually. Tom, what about what did you make of it? Did you think your no thanks, new politics sucks? Well, I thought the events in Cumbria clearly, you know, that was the biggest influence on it and it's very hard to judge it as a, a the precedent of things to come because of that. I think it's not true that Harriet can't mix it up actually when she was elected deputy leader everybody was very patronising about her and said you know she's going to get slaughtered when she's presented William Hague who was sort of the number two and actually she's proved quite a good performer in that role and I think she she can mix it up I think the difficulty is for the leader of the opposition is they haven't worked out in their own minds yet what they're meant to be attacking about the coalition but I, I, I do think it will become more raucous because that is the nature of, of, of the chamber of the House of Commons. And it is also the, the default mode that politicians are comfortable with. Julian, do you remember last week when David Cameron was responding to, or in the debate after the Queen's speech? He was very aggressive then. Do you think that possibly he has been advised that that was too much? It was too angry? It was a bit. And he charged in at, at the opposition before they'd even really begun to talk. I don't know that he listens to advice on what to do in the chamber. I think he tries things out. I think this PMQs, I think the Cumbria shootings did have a big effect. And of course, all journalists complain PMQs is too noisy. And when it's quiet, we all complain it's too quiet. Until we get a proper leader of the opposition, it isn't Harriet Harman's fault. She, she's good at this, as Tom says, but she isn't representing Labour in, in, in the sense that she's been chosen by the party as its leader to go into the next election. And until Labour has a leader in that condition, this isn't going to be a normal event because it isn't really the full-time leader of the opposition against the full-time Prime Minister. It, it, it's somebody finding their way on both sides. And of course, there is one possibility, which is if Harriet Harman does well in this, she, she might just the leadership. I think she's got a few days left to make her mind up. It wouldn't, wouldn't be a bad thing for her to do, perhaps. We had two news stories from PMQs as well, because we had, as you say, Libby, we had the concession on anonymity for defendants in rape trials. And then also this move on House of Lords reform which was once upon a time a third-term issue for Cameron, and now we're going to get a vote on it by MPs in December. Tom, do you feel do you feel that, that this will, you know, in two to three years' time, we could actually have a different House of Lords, or do you think this is a sort of, it will never get through? If they come up with a proposal and they whip the proposal through the House of Commons, it will get further. The trouble with Labour always had is trying to putting 19 options. 10 options, I think, they did once, and things yeah. like that, and it completely fell through. I think they clearly do have a, a will to change it. I don't know enough about it, probably Julian knows more than I do, is do 
the law, the, the Tories in the this Lords, the question, yeah. you know, are they going to are they going to be obedient to their leadership in the House of Commons? You know, years and years ago, you know, William Hague was utterly undermined by his his hereditary peers, you know, who who felt their historic interests were much more important than the party's short term interests. And I don't know what's going to happen about that. Well, most but most it, of the hereditaries have gone now, so so that's less of a less of a pressing issue. I, I think they'll try and respect the manifesto. They'll try and respect the coalition agreement. And that's why that document was published, partly, is to show this is what is going to be done by the government. It won't come as a surprise when it happens. It's strange, though, isn't it? Because they've got, um, potentially, they're going to, they've moved backwards. Because Labour was saying, wasn't it, five years ago, oh, we'll have either a mostly elected or a Labour was saying a hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah, Labour's, con- yeah, since, 19, <laughs> not since Parliament Act, so all there in the preamble, that they're going to bring in a... Um, uh, an elected house, uh, and yet that now was we... the Liberals, Tom, not Labour. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, you know what I mean—the <laughs> progressive side, the proper progressives. Um, but now we've got into this situation where we've moved backwards from saying it was going to be all elected just before the election to oh, it's going to be partly elected or mostly elected. Isn't that a recipe, Libby, for just dragging things out a bit more? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if if that was kind of part of the reason why they're doing it is that they do want things to to drag on a little bit longer. I mean, it's it's kind of the same. Um, situation as we have with constitutional reform now I think with with Nick Clegg doing his um, I'm assuming review that is going to take an extremely long time to actually come out. Can I just pick up on what you were saying before about the Liberal Democrats and how they looked at Mm. Prime Minister's questions the other big bit of the constitutional jigsaw is this thing about a referendum on changing the voting system and when that happens we know that Nick Clegg and David Cameron are going to be on different sides now, can you imagine them sat next to each other on the bench and then will they start jeering at each other or how do you think it'll work? Well, that's going to be some pretty interesting body language to look at, isn't it? I, yeah, I just I sort of can't really fathom what's, what's going to happen when you do have those situations in PMQs and just in the House generally where the Lib Dems and, and the Tories are, you know, absolutely divided. You sound like you don't buy it at all, Libby. No, I don't. <laughs> Because <laughs> I mean, they, they, I mean, speaking to speaking, the, the Lib Dems really, they really, they really think this has to work. Mm. I mean, you're absolutely right. It'll come down to something totally simple, like Nick Clegg just can't. He can't. There's only so many facial gestures he can he can pull to pretend he's happy with whatever David Cameron's saying about marriage tax that that Nick Clegg's been very rude about. But in terms of if he can get through, I think I think Lib Dems do think they can get through a referendum on AV and they can win it. Have you seen Allegra this plan from um, my old friend Alan Johnson about putting down a, an amendment to say we want proper PR, not just the alternative vote, and then watch the Lib Dems squirm as and they watch have to the decide. Labour Party squirm? Well, no, but Labour- well, no, 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 I know completely, but but uh, absolutely, absolutely, I mean, he's putting it down. He's being very mischievous because there's so many Lib Dems that want the full, the real deal, the PR, and the, the best is the enemy of the good, and all the good is medic, whatever. Um, and but I, I think that there is also going to be this massive problem on the Labour benches because obviously there's so many of them who want first past the post to remain. I think also in a referendum, in some ways, I don't think it's a problem of them arguing different things. I think it's more a problem for David Cameron. If you're arguing against electoral reform that mm-hmm. makes coalitions more likely, it's very different because you're arguing against the, the, what he's put so much store by, the importance of his coalition and why it's such a great thing in his government. Yeah, well, they have strong a problem leadership for him. again. There's lots, there's lots of Tories at the moment trying to work out what AV means. Um, they obviously know the rough system but they they haven't yet decided if it's a really evil thing that has to be stopped at all costs or if it's just something a bit distasteful that they'd rather not have and each mp is working out would they win their seat anyway 
um, and under AV, and quite a lot of Tories probably would have done with Lib Dem second choices. The bigger thing might be the change of boundaries, because a lot of MPs are going to lose their jobs over that, and and that could cause a fuss we haven't even thought of yet. And a bit of bickering between neighbouring MPs, some of them yellow and some of them blue, I'd have thought. But um, what we'll do now is turn to the man who wasn't there at Prime Minister's Questions yesterday, which is David Laws. Now, Julian, you've... Um, well, we know the facts of the story that the man claimed £40,000 uh, in rent, which was passed on to his partner. But you've written this week, haven't you, that the story is a good deal more complicated than that. Could you explain why? Well, I think there's two areas of complexity. One is, was the expenses sin as bad as everybody thought? Or is it of the level of things other MPs have done? And indeed, are the rules right? Um, he could have employed his partner and paid money to his partner. If he'd been a civil servant, he could have also paid his partner or any relative money for accommodation at a market rate in London. So it did break the rules? I, I think it may well have broken the rules. You can look at, you can argue if you want about what is a partner. And then that isn't entirely clear from the Commons rules. It's a description of people who behave as their spouse. And that, of course, is is the other issue which is David Laws was gay. He hadn't told people. He hadn't told his mother. He'd found it very difficult to tell people for reasons to do with his own life and his own thoughts about who he was. And I, and I, and I regret that he wasn't able to, but, but I also respect his right not to. And whatever we think about the expenses sin that he carried out, I don't think it justified the level of coverage it got, certainly the level of coverage it got in the Daily Telegraph, the snatched photographs in blurry blurry print of his boyfriend as it looked making him look like he was some kind of criminal it was a hugely intrusive thing now i'm not saying it shouldn't have been reported i'm not saying they should just bury the story but there's a difference between exploding this story as they did and doing it in the most intrusive way they said they did not really want to reveal his sexuality well if they didn't want to reveal his sexuality they didn't have to do it as they did but even it, if it we was ex- pretty shocking even if we accept all of that wasn't the fact anything at all to do with expenses when your job is to save money that does make it a special problem doesn't it? For it does make secretary. it a special problem and it would have been easier to survive if you'd been in any other job. Mm. I have to point out that the previous Chancellor, Alistair Darling, that we all thought was a good man, flipped his second home four times in four years. Um, this is not something... There have, been, there have been people at the Treasury who have been involved in questionable expenses before and there will be in the future. And if, if, if we think this is only about expenses and nothing about sexuality, we're wrong. I'm afraid this story went in more than one way. What do you think, Libby? Well, I think that just because other people have got away with it previously doesn't make it OK. And I think that we do still need to re- remember that at base he did fleece the taxpayer out of 40k. He could but have got more though, right? Given, given that, um, I completely agree with Julian about the particularly the Telegraph's coverage. I think it was incredibly disingenuous of them to say that they were going to print the story but not talk about his sexuality until he came forward. I'm not quite sure what kind of non-gender specific personal pronouns they were thinking of printing. Um, <laughs> and and the, the, the coverage elsewhere has, has been sort of deeply unpleasant as well. And Tom, do you think this is a big blow? Do you think the coalition will bounce back? Well, I think that it is a blow to the coalition. I don't think it's a killer blow to the coalition. But it is a real blow to the coalition for, for two reasons. Because it, one, it exposes a, a difficulty with coalition government is that Danny Alexander may be an enormously talented politician, but he was, I would say, clearly not the best candidate on the government benches for that job. And clearly they wanted to have, Cameron wanted to have a Lib Dem in the Treasury having his you know, hand in the blood of the cuts. Didn't that, um, make, didn't that make him the best candidate? I mean, it's absolutely well, essential maybe that Liberal it did, Democrats but buy the, into the, this. The, the, the real problem is, I think, D- D- Danny Alexander, however brilliant he does, he will not be as confident in that role 
as David Laws because of David Laws' background, because of David Laws' interest, because he's been an economic advisor, because he's been an investment banker, because he is was so clearly, you know, a sort of, uh, you know, made for that role and seemed to relish it so much. And I think it's, it weakens coalition as well because the fact is that in some ways in the press conferences and in the public statements of the first few days of the coalition, it was almost as if Laws was a senior partner. You know, he was the star of the Lib Dem, somebody who didn't Osborne really play a particularly public role in the campaign. David will give you the details. Yeah, that was exactly. his new catchphrase. And I do think it weakens coalition because of that. I disagree with Libby. I don't think he clearly was not trying to make a fast buck by uh, being less than open about you know his relationship and his the details of his home life. Well, I mean, what do you think, Libby? Why would anyone want to be a politician anymore? Let's turn it around. You've said he he deserves to be. Uh, he probably had to go, but you know when you saw Dalek Alexander going the next day, he got done over by the Telegraph for capital gains tax, which he was completely within the rules over, as far as I could tell. I mean, would anyone want to do this job anymore? It's questionable, isn't it? I mean, I was looking at all the um, new MPs in in the Commons yesterday making their uh, first questions and just thinking, you poor sods. (laughs) Um, It is, I mean, it's it's not an appealing job anymore, is it? And particularly when you're aware that... um, every little detail of your personal life is is likely to be exposed in the most unpleasant fashion. And Julian, they're having all their allowances for researchers and all that cut back at the moment, as well as having everything exposed. So they're going to be broke and called scoundrels in the press now. Yeah, there, there was a great explosion of, of, of expenses or allowances, as MPs like to call them instead, over the last few years. And, and that can be pruned back. We're getting the wrong ones cut sometimes. We're not cutting the communications allowance, which which really ought to go. I think this idea that MPs all have to have flocks of researchers, you know, chiefs of staff, and it, it's perhaps overdone. Some things can be pruned back. Nobody's saying politics has to be funded like Congress that employs 30,000 people. But there is a wider thing, I think, out of the David Laws story, which is, do we almost want an amnesty on expenses? Do we want to say, we knew it was bad, we knew lots of things were broken, we knew the rules were terrible, but in the new parliament, we don't want us to rake over the relics of the old parliament? Because what will happen is every time an MP who was previously junior in the old parliament becomes important in the new one and we've got the select committee chairman coming up next week the telegraph can go back over its heap of unredacted documents put a couple of reporters on it and probably come up with something and splash late in the week saying you know new select committee chairman is x and and that's just going to rip through you know the next few months and it's going to be so depressing and bad for politics and unless some serious criminality is exposed and there are a few mps who are going to be tried over this so there is some criminality involved I think we just need to stop. But there's an irony there in the fact that David Cameron and the Tory party and the Liberal Democrats in the government are now, in a way, pursuing a very similar strategy towards the opposition as the Telegraph have done towards Parliament. They've clearly got a pile of embarrassing receipts of money the gov- previous government spent on flowers and all those things. Yes, and they're yes. going to dribble them out to you know good little stories over the next few months to, to brand the previous government as irresponsible with public money. Now, they're they're doing almost exactly the same. It's as if they've got, you know, a whole load of receipts and and, and expenses forms in plastic bags in their back office that they're going to go through endlessly and release in in news bite type chunks. So it's very difficult for government ministers to say, oh, you know, there should be an amnesty. Let's leave Westminster for a minute and turn to the power across the river, the London mayoralty. Last week, Una King, Labour's deposed former MP for Bethnal Green, put herself forward. And this week, we've seen Ken Livingstone announce that he'll stand again to try and win it back. And meanwhile, the incumbent, Boris Johnson, has been having a rough time of it. His usually friendly spectator, which he used to edit, had a pop at him a couple of weeks ago, and his totemic new Routemaster bus, which has not met with a rapturous reception. 
Julian, is Boris Johnson going to become a problem for Prime Minister David Cameron? I think Boris is a bit bored as mayor. He's he's realised that the job is mostly about transport. That's where the big money is. He's got a bit involved in, in policing and, and not wholly succeeded in that. With a bike system, he's trying to install free bikes that's costing a lot of money, um, but can't be put at railway stations because people might use them too much. Um, lots and lots of difficult things that he just finds a bit troublesome. And so he's not able to be the big fun man he wants to be. And he's looking at the Tory government and thinking he'd like to be in it. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's got to see his brother. His brother's in it, exactly. <laughs> not yet in it, but but, but fast rising and, and soon will be. So hold on, on the particulars of London, Julian, do you think that he will live to fight another another election for it and probably be mayor next time round? I suspect he will. It's, ego is a big thing. And to stand down, you know, he could try and get to the Olympics and then stand down and and then and, and sort of say, look, I've delivered. But I think he'll try and run. And I think if he did run, he's quite a big brand name. So if things aren't too bad in London, he'll probably win. It depends a bit on the Tory national picture. But London politics is fairly divorced from the state of national parties. Um, Labour does need to put forward a really big name. Um, Ken Livingstone is that big name, but he is older. He is perhaps less familiar to newer voters. He's been there. He's done it. Do people want to go back to him? I'm not certain. So, so we should look at other Labour candidates too. Libby, um, don't you think Una could be quite could be quite a pack quite a punch? I think she is still too tainted over Iraq, to be honest. I mean, what Ken would have to do if if he is to succeed this time round is is to really get the suburbs going, which was obviously what swung it for Boris last time. Um, and you know, I'm not so uh, convinced as, as Julian is that that Ken doesn't really stand that much of a chance. I mean, he is he's sort of no longer the old and sleepy candidate. Um, and you know, he might not be familiar to new voters, but that means that they think that he's a new thing. Tom, um, sorry to mention Alan Johnson for the second time in a, in a single podcast. But he's so good. We should just talk about <laughs> no, him. He's wonderful, isn't he? But there was a little story in the uh, Evening Standard a week or so ago saying he might run. Do you think he'd be the right person well, to take I, on? I must be honest, I find both, you know, I think that the, the issue with Boris is, you know, actually a lot of politics is about administration and it slightly looks like he doesn't really want Details. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not sure being, you know, being you know, a government minister would be much more exciting. You do actually have to run a department <laughs> and uh, get things done like and things king, like that. Actually. Yeah, you know, <laughs> maybe he'd like to be a journalist. Uh, it's what I slightly can't help with thinking, <laughs> you know, personality. These days for. Um, well, that may be true. And uh, I find the two Labour candidates not particularly smart. You sort of think Ken Livingstone, A, the last campaign, you slightly felt he lost it. He didn't yeah. really lose it because of unpopularity of Labour. You felt he, he lost it partly because... He, he had a big thing he first ran on, which was the congestion charge, and you felt he wanted to do something, and he got in, and he did it, and then you felt he slightly ran out of steam. I think he was just exhausted. Was well, it was a bit well, cramy stuff as well, wasn't it, but, Libby? There were, you, know. you know, yeah. So, but and Una King as well is, you know, she's an attractive personality, but one, if you've ever read her memoirs, anybody read House Music? House, House Music. Well. Going back to the point about administration, it's it's quite it's a quite a good book and it's a very entertaining book, but it is full of anecdotes about her losing her mobile phone and her office being a shambles and things like that. You just think, come back, you know, is she the best that Labour can do? I personally think Alan Johnson would be a, a bloody good candidate, or. 
Peter Mandelson, put your typewriter Peter away Mandelson. and run for mayor of London. I think it's the time, you know, he's almost been deputy prime minister. He should really follow his granddad and take over London for a time. I think, you know, they should get some good Labour candidates. I think Boris is for the taking. Peter Mandelson, if you are listening, which I really doubt you are <laughs> on your yacht off a Greek island, um, then that's it. Tom wants you to stand. That is it from, from us this week. Many thanks to Julian Glover in Derbyshire, Tom Happel and Libby Brooks. The producer was Phil Maynard. I'm Tom Clark. And I'm Alexa Stratton. See you next week.